Well, it is Missions Month here at Central, and during Missions Month, a lot of times I like to tell you stories about these missionaries who go to far-off places. But the reality is we're all called to be missionaries, to be on mission wherever it is that we live, work, study, and play. And so this morning, I want to tell you about an everyday missionary. It's my friend Pius over in Sierra Leone. As many of you know, I travel to Sierra Leone, Africa about every other year and help disciple some pastors over there. And one of my good friends who I've met through my travels is Pastor Pius. He pastors a church in a little small village in Sierra Leone. And And for all of us, these last couple years have been difficult with COVID and everything. And that's just been especially true there. They're coming off the heels of Ebola and they remember what all that was like to see so much death. And so they've taken precautions. People haven't been meeting very much. And so it it was a time of separation. Well, Pius, he used that time of separation to make sure that he was on mission. And so he visited the one village that where he is a pastor, but he also went to another village and he took men that he was discipling with him into that village. And so now that the church has been able to meet again, he's realized that this other village that he's been going to, well, they need to plant a church there. And so right here, even though COVID hasn't completely passed yet, Pius has planted a church in that village. And what's so incredible about that is this. Oftentimes when you plant a church in Sierra Leone, you come and you ask the Americans, hey, do you have some money? Can you help us plant this church? The incredible thing about Pastor Pius is he raised the money to plant the church within the church that he currently leads. That just doesn't happen over there. It's almost unheard of. In this church that was planted in this village, it's the first church ever in that village. It's a Muslim village, and it's the first church ever in that village. People who previous generations never had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, well, because of Pastor Pius's faithfulness, there's a church there, a church, the people there who are sharing the good news of Jesus. Incredible. People will be meeting him. They'll be discipled, and they never would have had that opportunity before. The first church in the whole village. I mean, how exciting is that? And yet when you look at this, we know that from this church and that ministry, there's going to be so many brothers and sisters that will have the opportunity to one day meet. However, right now, those people are all nameless to us. This morning, as we continue our Missions Month series, we're looking at the second conversation that Jesus had from the cross. And it's a conversation that he had with probably the most well-known, nameless person in all of Scripture. So we'll meet him in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. It says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, we don't really know anything about these two guys, except for the fact that 
they weren't Roman because Romans didn't have to undergo crucifixion. And we also know that they were thieves. We don't know exactly what they were guilty of because that terminology thieves, well, that could range a whole host of criminal activity back in those times. And so they could have done any number of things to deserve this punishment. They weren't just like petty thieves. No, they had, they had done something really wrong. In fact, a lot of scholars think that the, perhaps these two guys got kind of caught up in Barabbas's gang and they were part of this rebellion against Rome and kind of looting Rome. And so they got caught up in all that and they were captured. And now here's their punishment. The truth is we don't really know. That's all speculation. It's all conjecture. What we do realize is Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. I mean, these were two hardened criminals who had done some really, really bad things. Things so bad that we don't even know their names. History has forgotten all about them, not even remembered their names. But we do have this conversation, this conversation that they shared. The first guy in his pain and in his agony, while he's on the cross struggling to breathe, he uses his final breath, his last words to kind of join in the jeering of the crowd. He joins right in and he taunts Jesus. I mean, can you imagine he's looking at another man dying and he's saying, what's so great about you? I guess you say you're the Messiah. How come you're not saving yourself? And if you're so powerful while you're at it, why don't you just go ahead and save us too? Because any kind of Messiah, any kind of savior would surely save. So why don't you get to the business of saving? And so he just joins right in and he's taunting Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you, have you ever taunted God? Maybe you've gone through a really hard time in life and you're looking and you're saying, God, hey, where are you? And you've prayed and you've asked him and it just seems like he's silent. And so you'll do whatever it takes just to try to get his attention. Hey, you'll taunt him. You'll throw a fit. You'll do whatever. You don't care if it's lightning bolts. You just want to know that God is there. You just want to know that he's listening, that he's active. But the thing is, God's never provoked like that. He's never provoked by threats or by taunts or by fits. He's never manipulated. God does not respond to the, to the fits of his people. What he responds to is brokenness. What he responds to is cries of mercy, cries of contrition. You know, it's interesting. We're told in the other gospels in Matthew and Mark that this other thief he had actually been a part of the taunting too, that earlier he was taunting Jesus. He was making fun of Jesus. He had joined in the jeers of the crowd as well. We don't know what changed. We don't know if perhaps this other thief overheard Jesus' prayer and as Jesus praying for the forgiveness of the people that perhaps that was enough to, re for, to allow this thief to recognize that truly he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. We don't know, but something changed. Something changed in this man's heart and this man's mind where he rightly identifies Jesus as Savior. And so he begs him. He, he, for he, he rebukes the other thief and then he begs Jesus. Hey, can you just have a spot for me when you get in your kingdom? Can you, can you just remember me? Can there be a place there in your kingdom for me? And incredibly, Jesus answers him. 
Yeah, I mean, just the fact that Jesus answered him is incredible. Maybe it doesn't sound so incredible to you, but consider just the the, the moment for for a little bit. I mean, this is a straightforward answer to a straightforward question. It seems not that big of a deal, but when you consider how loud that moment was, with each breath that Jesus took, just the pain of each breath the, as he pushes his ankles up on the nails, just the, just the pain as he, as he goes back down bare back on that wooden cross. How loud that moment was with the crowds mocking and taunting, the criminals arguing, Jesus praying. I mean, in that moment, so much is going on and his moments were winding to a close. And in that moment, he listened. He listened. He, he was present. He responded to what we would look at and we would say, this is the worst of humanity. This is a criminal worthy of crucifixion, worthy of the death penalty. Even he admitted that. He said, hey, we're just getting what we justly deserved. He recognized that he was worthy of death. He acknowledged it. And Jesus, in the loudness of the moment, with so much going on, he responds. He's present. He hears the needs of the people and he responds. He listens. You know, it would have been so easy to turn it out, tune it all out. It would have been so easy just to kind of close his eyes and his ears. It would have been so easy just to, just to pray and just to ignore everything that was happening and try to take your mind to another place. But Jesus didn't. He listened. He was present. See, if you ever wonder if God hears if God cares, if God is there, this conversation reminds us that even when we're at our worst, even when we've done things that we know how guilty we are, that we would take back a million times if we could, that even right after those things, when we cry out to God for mercy with contrition, that God hears. See, when we turn with brokenness, God always responds. God responds to the brokenness of his people. And no moment is too big for him. No moment is too loud for him. He never gets too busy tending with all these other matters of the universe that he doesn't have time for you. He's big enough. He can handle it all. And so when your life is busy, when, when your life seems loud, when it's messy, when it's noisy, and there's so much going on, are you present? Are you present with, with your children to listen to their questions, to respond, to have a conversation? Or are you present as you're going through the store and you see the lady who's hurting? Are you present enough to enter into that conversation? Are you present enough as you go through wherever it is you live, work, study, you play, to see the needs of your culture, to see the needs of your society, to see the needs where God has planted you, and to respond? Or does life get too busy, too noisy, too loud? See, the thing is, when we walk with Jesus, he brings peace. He allows us to be present because he promises this, I am present with you always. And when he's present with us, he prepares us to be present with people. That's our responsibility, to be present for the people around you. That's your calling, to be present for the people around you, just as Jesus is present for the people around him. And it was a loud moment. It was a very loud moment when Jesus responds with this second conversation from the cross. And he gave that answer that we all know so well, the second statement of from the cross 
today you'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> and you know, from that statement, we flipped out a lot over that statement. We wigged out trying to figure out, oh, what did Jesus mean by this? There's a lot of nuances here to this simple statement. What exactly was he getting at? And people, oh man, they've written books on this. They've studied it and they've, they've developed all kinds of theories on this, looking at the different terms in this statement. Well, what did Jesus mean by this? What do you mean by that? And the first thing they zero in on is that word today. What did Jesus mean by today? I mean, is it by the end of the day? Is it like a euphemism, some kind of metaphorical language for it, like some point in time? I mean, what is he, what is he getting at? Because Jesus is going to be in the tomb and where's that thief anyway? What really happens? And is the thief present in spirit or is his body there? Tell me what, what happened? What does today really mean? Did Jesus ascend straight to heaven or did he descend to hell and wage war there too? What does he mean by today? Well, when we talk about studying the Bible and Bible study methods, the first thing that we do is when we hit a term that's kind of confusing for us and we're just not exactly sure what what it means, we want to see, well, did the same author use this term elsewhere in his book? And could maybe the, his other uses of the terminology kind of help us understand what he might mean here? And so when you use that in this chapter and you kind of look back, you see that, huh, in Luke's gospel, Jesus actually used this word today a couple other times. One of them was in Luke chapter 4. There's the story of Jesus reading the scriptures in Nazareth. And after he reads the scriptures, he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant and says, this passage has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Today, this passage has been fulfilled. There's another one. It's the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And after Zacchaeus confesses his sin, he demonstrates repentance by saying, you know what? Everybody I've wronged, I'm going to pay them back and even more so many times over to make up for this. And Jesus responds to this demonstrated repentance. And he says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Today, you know, when Jesus uses that term today, it, it's this term of significance because it's, it's moving from a past reality to a future reality. That what is about to take place, what is taking place now is so much more significant than what was happening in the past. Uh, Today, it was just a moment in the synagogue. I mean, had Jesus already appeared? Had he, had he already fulfilled that passage? Well, what we read in scripture, when we see this, and Jesus says, today in your presence, was he, hey, now you're realizing this. For you, it's today. You didn't get it before, but now you see, you hear today, this passage has been fulfilled. Do not miss this because your future reality is now defined differently than what had been defined in the past. Today, salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus. Today, your future reality is now different from what was going on in the past. The thief and Zacchaeus are no longer defined by the past, living out of their sin. Now they are living for something so much more in their future. You know, another word that we have a hard time with, people kind of wig out over a little bit in, in that statement, this second conversation from the cross, is that word paradise. And we start to wonder, well, what does he mean by paradise? What will paradise be like? When will he 
get there, what will happen once he's there, and all these things. And, you know, we're not really given much of a description of heaven. There's some things that we know. Streets are paved with gold. There's many rooms, The uh, no sorrow, no pain, walls of jade, gates of pearls. Uh, but the truth is, oftentimes we can become so earthbound that we think that heaven is just going to be like a greater picture of what's taken on right now. That, oh man, we'll just get a nicer place and everything will just be a little bit nicer and that will be great. And that's what I want. We can get so consumed with paradise and where that place is and what it's going to be like that we miss the most important part of the passage, we miss what truly makes paradise, paradise. You understand the most important part of this statement, the second conversation from the cross, it's right in the middle. It's what takes place between today and paradise. Those are the words we tend to gravitate to, but it's what takes place right in the middle. You will be with me. That's it. With with you will be with me you know the new jerusalem is introduced in the book of revelation at the end of revelation and when the new jerusalem is introduced god says hey god will be their god and he will be with his people and they will be his people See, it's the with that matters it's god's presence that matters it's not when it's not where it's the with. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember them? They're thrown into the fiery furnace, and the king looks in, and he says, hey, how many guys do we throw in the furnace? The response comes, three, king. And he says, well, how come there's four guys walking around in there? So you understand, the fire is not the problem. It's the absence of God that makes it un unbearable. And that's true for all of us, isn't it? That's true for all of us. It's not so much the when, and it's not so much the where, it's the with. We all have special days on our calendar. Maybe it's birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, special days that we can mark down. And we all have special places that we like to go. Maybe it's to the beach, maybe it's to the mountains, someplace special, a special restaurant or something. We have these special places, we have these special days. But if you reach that special day, and if you go to that special place, but you're not with the people you care about, you're not with that loved one that makes that day so special, well, there's a loneliness to it all, isn't there? There's an emptiness to it all, because when it comes right down to it, it's not really the day, it's not really the place, it's the with. It's the with that makes it all so meaningful, that without the with, without the relationship, without the person, well, then it's just empty. Then it's just, it's lonely. It, it loses all its meaning. And see, the great commission that we're given is to be with people, to go, to make disciples, to be present, just like Jesus was even on the cross, even in the most horrific moments of his life, he's present enough to be with the people who's crying out to him, even taunting him, and, and especially those who turn to him with contrition, begging for mercy out of their brokenness. And we have that same responsibility to bring the redemptive presence of Jesus wherever we go as we're with people. That's our calling, to be with people people. Jesus says, 
today you'll be with me in paradise. It's a response to the thief who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, you will be with me. The most important word in Jesus' answer is the word with. Now, this is not a totally happy ending, however, because there's still that first thief. There's still that first thief who is without. You know, it's really great news that Pastor Pius has planted this church in this village who's never had a church before and how people will be saved and they'll be discipled and, and there will hopefully be a legacy of faith that now begins to develop in that village. It is great news. But even with this great news, even with this church now planted and thriving, there will still be some who will be without. It will not be good news for all. Yes, forgiveness will be offered, but forgiveness will not be experienced by everyone. There will be some who still go without the relationship. Truth is, many here are without the relationship as well. The most cynical among us, they look at a passage like this and they say, you know what? I'll just live any old way I want to. And then when I get old, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll just cry out. I'll say, I'm sorry. I'll repent then. I'll confess my sins. And in that moment, in that last moment of life, all will be good, just like that thief on the cross. You know, the main problem with that is you're not promised that moment. You're not promised that deathbed moment. And what's taking place in Ukraine right now, well, that reminds all of us that we're not promised that moment, that we don't know the time or the place or how our life ends. The good news of Jesus is that he wants today to change your reality. He, he wants today to be the day that has you moving from whatever was true in your past to now what is true for your future, where everything gets redefined. He wants today to be the day that salvation comes to your house. Why? So that he can be with you, present in your life, affecting every moment of every day. See, this is what Jesus wants. He, he, he wants you. He hasn't saved you for heaven. He saved you for relationship here and now, for purpose here and now, for meaning here and now. The interesting thing about this second conversation that Jesus has is it's a microcosm of all of us, really. When you stop and think about it and you look at this, this is all humanity. There are three crosses. Cross in the middle, that's Jesus. God the Son, he's, he's there on that cross in terrible pain as he's dying, but he's dying to forgive the sin of all humanity. He's not dying in his sin. He's not dying forgiven of his sin because, hey, he had no sin. He's there in the middle dying in order to forgive sin, to make a way that God can be with his people forever. And then there's the cross of that first thief. The thief who in his pain and in his agony, who as he's dying, he uses his final breaths, his last words to cry out with taunts and jeers toward Jesus. Why? Because he had no relationship. He still was not with Jesus. Oh, forgiveness had been extended, but he was still dying in his sin without the relationship. He never got to experience that forgiveness. And so he dies in his sin without Jesus. And then there's the cross of the second thief. The thief who at one point was taunting Jesus, who was mocking Jesus, who was jeering Jesus, just like the crowds, just like the first thief. But then something changed. 
And so when something changes, he uses his last breath and his pain and his agony. And he cries out first, rebuking the first thief saying, hey, we deserve this. But he doesn't. And then he asked Jesus, hey, will you remember me in your kingdom? And so Jesus says, yes, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so this second thief, he does not die to forgive sin. He doesn't have the power to do that. He does not die in his sin without Jesus. No, there's this amazing thing that happens because God hears his brokenness. He hears his cries for mercy, his cries of contrition, and Jesus responds. And Jesus, you are forgiven. You experience the forgiveness and you'll experiencing it by being with me, by the presence of me. And so that's how it works for all of us. We'll either die in our sin, not experiencing the forgiveness that's already offered. We'll die without Jesus or we'll die forgiven of our sin, experiencing the forgiveness that Jesus offers because we are with him. Oh, the cross of Christ. Yeah, that one's on the t off the table. None of us have the power to die in order to forgive sin. And so the question comes, which cross is going to be yours? Which cross is yours? You the first cross? No, you're not that. You're not the cross of Christ. None of us can die to forgive sin. So are you dying in your sin without Jesus? Or are you dying forgiven of your sin in relationship with Jesus? See, this scene, this second conversation, it's a, it's a great reminder that even though there's so many nameless people out there, no one is nameless to God. That he sees all, he knows all, no moment is too big, no moment too loud, no moment too noisy for him to turn and respond to the cries of brokenness, the cries of contrition, the cries for mercy. And our challenge, to be the same, to be present in a loud, noisy, broken world, bring the redemptive, redemptive power of Christ wherever it is we live, work, study, and play. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. God, that in this loud, broken, noisy world, you hear, you see, and you respond. You did for us what we could never do for ourselves. May we experience the joy of our salvation because we are with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.